Hello, Internet. Mike Erie, Andy Laura here for podcast Vox number three. To be introduced with the eternal question answered a couple of years ago by some enterprising musicians. What does the Vox say? Andy, what does the Vox say? What does the Vox say? You think they'd give us uh, permission for intro or outro music? I don't think so. No. But uh, no, you'll not. get it live right there. <laughs> right then now, now, before we get into questions from last week's episode and before we uh, dive into this week's topic, uh, Andy was just informing me about a couple of things. Number, number one, he let me know about something I'm going to be very interested in called a skinny mirror. <laughs> Tell me about that. That's right. So this, uh, if you guys get a chance to check out last episode of Shark Tank. Um, what this, is Shark Tank? Uh, Shark Tank is the uh, television show where they have a multitude of investors, about five guys, who oh. um, invest in your ideas and your products. Nice. And it's 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 real, real great products that already exist a lot of times. And they come in and say, well, we're trying to take it to the next level. So we need whatever, $500,000 for 10% of wow. our company. And they try to do a pitch. And wow. it's incredibly entertaining. Wow. <laughs> yes. So, so skinny mirror. So last week, yeah, this uh, this great young lady uh, introduced uh, this thing called the skinny mirror. Yes. And it's exactly what it sounds like. That's it is a mirror about. that uh, is altered slightly to actually make you look skinnier. And and and, and the purpose? Uh, so her, you know, to her credits, the, the core and the heart of her attempt was to convince the sharks that it's intended to make people feel better. Yeah. I mean, just in, in uh, uh, Robert. I'm sick of fat mirrors. Yeah. I have enough of fat yeah. mirrors. Well, she and she said that it came. Her response out of it was because she one day was looking at herself in the mirror and was like, I just look fat. And yep. but she's like, I'm a surfer. I'm athletic. Like, I know I'm in shape, but I just why do I look so wide? And her friend came over one day. She's like, well, that mirror just makes you look heavier. because it's, right. it's perfectly flat. And she kind of went into the explanation why it looks that way. It's the mirror's fault. I've always it's said the that. mirror's fault. And so she's like, well, why not make something the other way? I mean, people wear makeup. People do other things to make themselves feel better. Yep. Why not? A mirror? Why not a skinny? Why mirror? not a skinny mirror? And the amazing thing is that she's actually sold some. Uh, mass of these two retail stores oh. and that's where the sharks had a problem with it because it's like if you're gonna put like right. put on clothes it's disingenuous it's disingenuous and then get in front of a mirror and buy it because you think you look great in right. it and then you go out and you look horrible in it it's yeah. it's still an altered reality it's just oh, not man. it's just not fair so oh, I, I i give her an ounce of credit for trying to make people feel better but at the same time you're like oh this this is one of those products to me that's just a bomb i'm i'm just gonna stick with photoshop yeah. Just for me personally. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're doing a podcast and not a, a TV show. <laughs> the second thing, and and this was awful, but Adele has a new song. And and I'd been praying that my, my uh, wife and daughter, because we've just stopped listening to the first album within maybe the last two months. <laughs> and then, of course, here it comes. Hello from the other side. And, and it's awful. It's they all sound the same. They there's no hope or goodness left in the world. But you like it. I oh well, yeah. I, I like no, it. No, no. I need Let a me, yes or no. No, yes, I like it. And Oh my goodness. I, this is what I, I do I do this to every band. So if you're in a band, I'm on the sideline comparing you and, and fusing you together with like five other musicians okay. that I potentially okay. like. And I, I was trying to put my my finger on this. I'm like, what is this like? And I was like, this is like if Johnny Cash and Meatloaf got together 
and tried to write a female pop anthem, oh I think goodness. this is what it would actually sound like. No, I think it's if if anti-depression meds and Xanax got together <laughs> and gave birth to relational angst. That's like every pop song. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what about the song that's when my face melts when I'm with you? See, that's solid. There you go. That's solid. That, that's, right there. That's solid. That's oh, solid. my goodness. Any, anyhow, I... I watched a video last night just to make sure I got a good view on it. And um, you know what? More importantly, I'm, I'm happy that she came back after having her vocal surgery because that's pretty rough to come out. And it, I think it's strong. I think it's a strong performance from her. Yeah. And um, I'm most proud of the guy in the video using a flip phone. I think that's uh, wonderfully anti-cultural and extremely progressive now at this <laughs> state of the game. <laughs> So if I'd have just hung on to my flip phone, I'd now be cool. Oh, absolutely. We're, okay. Yeah. That's, that's Is that it. how it works? That, that That's how it works. Those are my, my two notes on oh, the Adele video and their song. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, we do tackle the tough cultural issues of the day. That's right. There's there's no question about that. A um, couple of things. Uh, first, if you want to connect on Twitter, I am at M-I-K-E-E-R-R-E and Facebook. Uh, we have, I have a public page and I have a little bit of room on my personal page, but same stuff, um, posted, I think both places. Uh, and, and I want to let you know, I, I love the feedback. Um, we found out this week that we'd broken the top 50 of all religion and spirituality podcasts yeah. in the country or is that in the world? It's in the U S is that in the U S okay. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take it. Yeah. And, and we were totally shocked by that. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, so thank you for, for listening and for agreeing and disagreeing. So when I get feedback from you on social media, I put it in one of three places. Um, the first place, if it's, if it's agreeable feedback, I try to either like it or say thank you. If it's disagreeable feedback, uh, I either put it onto a list of questions to be dealt with in future podcasts. So I have like eight pages of those questions or like today... I try to group questions together into a theme. So I received a lot of questions expressing the same general sentiment about Jesus attending a gay wedding. And, and so I want to respond to those. And I also want to say, man, I could be dead wrong on this stuff. I mean, the goal, I love Jesus. He is the hope of the world. And, and I think Jesus uh, confronts both the affirming side of LGBT Q conversations and the non-affirming side. And my, my, my fear is that either side will co-op Jesus and not hear what I think he would speak to both sides. So if you hold the traditional view that marriage uh, in, in, in God's economy is a covenant relationship, a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman, how, and this is so critical, how you hold that view is more important than that you hold that view. In other words, what you do with that view can either bring life or death to people. If you're shoving it, if you're slapping people around with it, I think you've missed Jesus even though you think you're right. If you hold the non, or if you hold the affirming view, the view that says that it is possible, possible to be Christian and follow Jesus and love Jesus, and to not only have same-sex orientation, but to be actively engaged in uh, same-sex sexual activities, um, we also have to realize Jesus would have words for, for and, and concepts and challenges 
for that way of thinking as well. And so we're just trying to say how the views are held, how they're expressed, and how they're kept in dialogue is unbelievably important. So obviously I'm addressing the non-affirming crowd a bunch by saying, hey, there's good news in the gay marriage ruling because it forces us to take a look at some of our own double standards in my heart, in our church's heart, and our practices. Uh, I also do think that the Jesus Jesus is scandalous table fellowship calls into question many non-affirming folks, uh, their practices about hating uh, the sin, but loving the sinner. And, you know, that whole line of thought, I just don't see in Jesus much. So um, I want to respond to some questions I got. Hi, Mike. I loved the blog, Why Gay Marriage is Good for the Church. I've been wondering about the very thing you talked about regarding why divorced people aren't questioned at the door of the church like gays are. I thought you did a good job calling attention to this cultural double standard. I wonder if you will be talking more about the role that repentance plays in the way the church welcome those, welcomes those in process. Um, right or wrong, I stumble on the repentance issue. I mean that if I'm remarried and have repented and received God's mercy on my second marriage, can a gay person continue the lifestyle in the same way I can? Makes me uncomfortable, but uh, I think it needs clarification among people like me. So great, 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 great question. Uh, and, and we talked last week, of course, about the idea that that Jesus's project was to call God's people to repentance. And that was the Pharisees project too. But they went about it two totally different ways, one through separation um, and judgment and one through association and mercy. But the point remained the same. He was still calling people to repentance. And that repentance looked different with different people. For one guy, it was sell your possessions, give to the poor and follow me. But he didn't say that to everybody. Mm-hmm. He said that to that guy. So, so yes, we're going we're gonna to get to that. Another question. Uh, I I'd have to say I disagree with whether or not Jesus would attend a gay uh, wedding. I'm wondering, do you see a difference between, quote, association and, quote, celebration? Because I totally believe Jesus would have dinner with a gay couple, married or unmarried or whatever, and would welcome a gay couple at the doors of a church he was attending, and would go to a birthday party for the couple's adopted daughter, would have a gay couple babysit their kids, take a vacation with said gay couple, employ a gay person uh, in his hardware business. All of these are ways we associate with sinners of all flavors all the time every day as others also associate with me in the midst of my sinfulness. So I totally, totally affirm the train of thought there. But a wedding, this questioner says, is different. A wedding is a celebration. A wedding is an event where folks gather for the express purpose of endorsing and giving a hearty amen to the married couple as they begin their life together, even if it's not a Christian quote-unquote wedding. To be present at such an event, to get in the group picture, to dance and drink together, to give a toast, is, all caps, an act of approval of that married couple, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever. And about that toast, so you would go to a gay wedding, toast the couple, which by nature implies your agreement with their sinful choice, unless your toast was a call to repentance, now that would be interesting, engage in all that's celebratory about the event, and then at some point later when the couple has been shown what you're willing to call grace, then at that point you bring in truth, doesn't that seem disingenuous? Mm-hmm. Ooh, great question. Mm-hmm. And then and then this this last one, this was part of a big dialogue on Facebook, he just said, well, I agree that it's accurate that Jesus ate with sinners. I think that wedding ceremonies, celebrations were and are different than dinners. Mm. So, so there was a great deal of question 
And the, these are just summaries of many, many others. Hey, I get the association part, but it seems like going to uh, a gay wedding would be a celebration beyond association. Now, I have I have uh, some thoughts in response, and I love, I love, I love, I love the feedback. It is precisely, point number one, it is precisely the fact that eating the banquets that Jesus attended were seen as celebrations of and condoning of the banquet attendees that you were dining with. It was precisely that part. Jesus didn't just get in trouble because he was associating with sinners, although that was sufficient. The nature of the banquets he attended in the ancient world gave them status like wedding celebrations. See, we're not, we don't have family dinners. We are fast food culture. We don't have banquets the way the ancients did. It is just simply false to say that these weren't celebrations. When when Levi threw the banquet for the tax collectors and the sinners, this was A, it was public. So it wasn't held in a dining room, it was held outside. B, it was a visible. Everybody would have known. The Pharisees, even questioning Jesus, would have walked by and could see what was happening. And C, it was utterly and absolutely seen as a celebration of the lifestyle uh, of those people. It, it, in, in fact, and I'm just quoting a bunch of scholarship here. Uh, eating with others symbolized religious compatibility and spiritual unity. Okay. Uh, another another, um, uh, another uh, historian uh, puts it this way. Jesus's promiscuous table fellowship should commit us to a world where all human beings, regardless of race, gender, economic status, class, sexual orientation, or religious belief, have access to the goods of the earth bestowed on us by our creator God. There is no avoiding the economic and political implications of genuine table fellowship. In other words, the objection that a wedding, our current wedding, is different from the banquet that Levi would have thrown because it is not just associating but celebrating is false. Jesus precisely was targeted with the idea that he was celebrating uh, the sin of sinners by associating with them. And, and for proof, I turn to the Bible, which, you know, we love. Uh, they have this great, they have this great thing. Jesus is responding to his critics, his cousin, Andy, John, the Baptist, his cousin was not Andy, his cousin, <laughs> comma, Andy, comma, was, was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came living a very aesthetic lifestyle. He was not eating, he was not drinking, he was out in the desert, very monastic in, in our terms. Jesus shows up and he's going to parties, so much so that people are continually criticizing him. See, if Jesus were just associating and not celebrating, uh, the, the, these criticisms wouldn't have, have had as much force because what, what they're going to say about Jesus here is unbelievably powerful. So Jesus is repeating things that have been said about John and him. He says to the crowd, he says, for, the jo for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, well, he has a demon. He's too, he's too aesthetic. He's too prophetic. The son of man, Jesus's title for himself, came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, this isn't dropped out of nowhere. In Deuteronomy 21, 
This exact phrase is used uh, to describe a disobedient son. And not just a disobedient son to the son's parents, but a disobedient son that brings shame upon the whole village. Now, and so, so this isn't a random critique, right? This is from Torah. This is law. And the punishment for being one of these was to be put to death. All right? So, if someone, Deuteronomy 21, 18, if someone is a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his mother and father and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him down to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, all right, so the parents are talking to the town elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. All right? Now, we don't know if this was ever carried out. Because by Jesus' day, the, the, the things about putting people to death were rarely, rarely practiced. I mean, adultery and, and other things. We, we do have an attempt on Jesus' life when he's blaspheming according to his hometown. Uh, and they try to push him off the, a cliff. Uh, after he gives his inaugural sermon, but that's a different, different kind of point. But it's interesting here that this was a very specific accusation leveled against Jesus that in his association and eating with sinners, to such a degree, he would be guilty under the law of Deuteronomy 21 mm -hmm. and be liable to put to death. Mm -hmm. That wasn't because he was just hanging out with sinful people. Yeah. It was because he was attending banquets so frequently Mm -hmm. That he'd gotten a reputation as a reveler, as someone who was who was flaunting the Mosaic Law, someone who was bringing dishonor to his family and his village. All right, so this was a huge, huge, huge critique, and then they tie it to the idea. So they say, and Jesus is just repeating what they're saying about him. He, Jesus says, "All right, so uh, John the Baptist shows up, and and you say he's got a got a demon." Um, I'm here eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, the word friend is really interesting, because in the ancient world, a friend was someone who shared your social status, your religious pedigree, a, a like hung with like. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, there were, there were proverbs all over the place about this. Like chooses like, all living beings um, will find their like associates. So mm -hmm. to say Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners meant that he was not just associating with them, but the critique was he was endorsing and sharing in their behavior. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. So to say, hey, I don't want to go to a gay wedding because it, it may celebrate and endorse their behavior is the exact same critique that the Pharisees would have given Jesus's behavior. Mm -hmm. Now that's not enough to say that it's okay, right? We could still be dead wrong about this. But my point is that's not a good enough reason to not go. Yeah. Because it, it seems like the greatest concern in the non-affirming crowd is, well, we can't let people be condoned in their behavior. That is the number one concern. We've got to tell people they're wrong, then we can love them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I just want to I want to say, well, it seems like Jesus didn't operate that way. It seems like when he sees Zacchaeus 
uh, up in the tree. He doesn't ask Zacchaeus to repent before he shares a meal with him. Mm-hmm. He repents as the invitation has already been given, mm-hmm. which leads me to a- another point uh, uh, in response to these questions. So first response is, no, no, no. The banquets Jesus were attending were celebrations in the same way a wedding we would think is a celebration. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the critique that uh, we should not go uh, to uh, a wedding because it could be seen as endorsing behavior would have been uh, and was the critique given to Jesus. So it's interesting. If, if, if that's the critique we're getting, well, there are worse problems. Yeah. Um, but the third response is this. And, and this is about the question about grace and truth. And, and that they seem to be two separate things and one has to be given before the other. But here's the way I mean it. And I wasn't clear on this last podcast. Grace, when it's true grace, is transformative. It's always transformative. Always. And you see this with Jesus. Always. Right? He will tell the truth about people. Absolutely. But it's almost as if those people themselves, Mm -hmm. because they've encountered such kindness, such mercy, such grace, bring themselves to the place. Right? It's, It's Zacchaeus going, oh my goodness, I will hear and now give half of my possessions to the poor and if i've cheated out of cheated anyone out of anything which of course he had mm. we'll repay them back four times the amount i mean it, mm. it, it it was jesus initiating that with grace and that's why i want to talk about grace before truth it's not it's i'm not trying to make an either or but i am trying to say that grace when it's shown is transformative that there are people who are so surprised by the kindness of Christians to them, the conversations you want to have will actually be had more productively, lovingly, graciously, and honestly once the relationship has been established that you're for them and you're with them, you're committed to them regardless of whether or not they change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. the kind of scandalous love Mm -hmm. that Jesus was showing. Yes, Andy. So so I think a lot of people might be thinking, well, what do we do about Paul's teachings? You know, that like calls us to to flee from sin, to run the other way, to set ourselves apart. like, I mean, because I feel that's that's such the counterbalance here as we look at Jesus and everything he yep. did. And I, I, th- I think you're right. And how we're looking at this is that the methodology is that when grace is truly and genuinely given, truth is revealed right. in, in such a way that's that's transformative. However, when we get to Paul and yep. some of the yep. church responsibilities, yes. organization, all this other yes. stuff. Yes. I feel like maybe that's kind of become the core of how we function as a church is like, well, this is what we're looking at. Right. And so how how does that work out? Oh, my goodness, Andy. First of all, this is an unprompted question that sets up the rest of the podcast. So gold stars, bro, gold (laughs) stars, gold stars for you. You said something right at, at first, though, that jogged something for me before you got to Paul's teaching in the, um, uh, what was it? You'd said right, right when you started your your question you said something beautiful and i was like oh yeah we got to talk about that i I forgot what it was so say it again oh before the show no 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 no. just just now when you were prefacing your question oh no okay i said um we're not going to rewind this the methodology of grace before i was mentioning kind of the method of grace before truth not so much of like a standard we're looking at but jesus's behavior of it yes how in in genuine grace truth is revealed right and 
I think that's kind of what I said. No, I, we you can said listen to it. Better. It's so funny. No, um, you said something. I better. said something better. Doggone now it. All right, I don't remember backwards. what it was. Maybe, 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 we'll maybe it will come back to us maybe. in a Jesus kind of moment. Now, okay. Paul's instructions about the communities of faith. Um, it, it brings us to today's today's topic. But I, I don't want to leave grace as transformative first. So let, let's let I want to circle around to that because the it was precisely Jesus's association at places where it could be seen that he and we know he wasn't celebrating the sin, mm-hmm. but was there associating with people in contexts where that could have been thought of him. Yeah. It was the grace in those moments mm-hmm. that made the grace so outlandish. Mm. It wasn't the grace when in the normal everyday, well, yeah, I mean, of course, I'm hanging around sinners all day. Mm-hmm. It was it was precisely grace at the moments when it was thought to be celebratory mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the charges could be raised against him mm-hmm. of associating with sinners and approving of them. Mm-hmm. It was grace there. Uh, that made it so outlandish. Now, I remember the part that you just said. Okay. All right. So you said, aren't there times we got to separate? Yes. yes. Okay. So a friend of mine who is one of my heroes, a guy named Mike Foster, um, he uh, has an organization called People of the Second Chance, Radical Grace. Uh, before that, he was involved in, in starting something called Triple X Church. Now, mm-hmm. I have had a lifelong a struggle with pornography. If you're listening with kids in the car, turn this off. At this juncture, three, two, one, turn it off. My dad, God bless him, was uh, was a uh, divorcee and really hadn't had no idea how to handle you know my burgeoning uh, puberty. And so he he bought a Playboy magazine and he handed it to me and he said, "This is what girls are like." Hmm. And he said, "Leave it here, you know, when you're done looking at it." And so for me, from my earliest moments, I've kind of been hotwired to struggle. That way, and that doesn't absolve me of any responsibility. I choose whether or not to give in to that. But but it's always been there. Visual lust has always been something I've I've really struggled with. One of the so I got I got uh, a hold of Triple X because it was one of the first versions of internet accountability software. Because thank the Lord, I was raised before internet porn was a thing. You had to to get pornography. You had to walk into a store, talking to some creepy old man behind like the Seven Eleven counter, and actually say the words "I'd like that." You know, so that kept me away, thankfully. But internet porn showed up, and it was like, oh my goodness! I, now I can be totally anonymous. There's no accountability. There's nothing to stop me from just engaging in this. And so I got some triple X software and I got to know Mike. And one of the things very early on that they were doing is they were going to porn conventions and they were setting up a booth in, uh, in like these adult industry conventions, handing out Bibles, Mm -hmm. Jesus loves porn stars, t-shirts. I mean, it was so outrageous. People were, people were slamming them. They still do this. They still do this, right? Mike's not as involved in that anymore. But I remember thinking, that is unbelievably amazing, courageous, very Jesus-y, very Jesus-y. But I couldn't do it because of my struggle. I could not go in to that environment and be holy. I just could not. There are movies I can't watch that other friends of mine can watch and be just fine. I can't, I don't want those images in my head. So yes, there are pieces where... 
uh, of culture where I will stumble over them. And we are called, uh, you know, when Paul talks to the Corinthians, yeah, the Corinthians say everything's permissible. Paul rejoins, but not everything is beneficial. Mm. And for me, there's an instance where I want to bless the association of Jesus followers with an adult industry convention, but I myself could not participate in it because I'd be tempted to engage Mm -hmm. in the sin that they were uh, showing love towards and engaging with. So are you absolutely right? There are times we separate. Of course, of course, Mm -hmm. absolutely. But if I'm at a gay wedding, I'm not tempted at that moment to rethink my marriage vows. Mm-hmm. I'm not tempted at yeah. that moment to, to, to look at my wife and go, you know what, this, this thing's really up for grabs. You know, in those moments, I am able to walk in a manner worthy and to be a blessing in a mission sense uh, to, the, to the couple that's there, particularly if they're not believers. If, if they are non-Christian people who are getting married in a civic ceremony, you bet I'm going to be there. If mm-hmm. I have a relationship and friendship with them, you bet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'd want to surprise them with grace. Absolutely want to surprise them with grace. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's disingenuous at all because simply in virtue of being a Christian, they'll assume I'm already against them. Yeah. The surprise will not be that I'm uh, against gay marriage. The surprise would be that you showed up, even though. Even though. So I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Second part of your question is Jesus. And how do you how do you how do you reconcile Jesus and Paul on this? Yeah, because Paul seems a bit a bit harsher. So let's start with Jesus, then we'll get to Paul. Are we getting into topic now? We're going topic. Okay. All but, right. Um, what does the Vox say? Well, the Vox says, "Judge not." Is the is the topic for today? We want to talk about judgment. Yes. And and my favorite my favorite kind of folks to judge are the judges. I love judging them, which makes me one of them, and that's totally horrible. So. In Luke, Jesus is doing this, the most radical thing ever done by any ancient wisdom teacher, philosopher. He, he's, he's redefining love to include love of enemy. And, and he, he's, he's reversing all of the cultural values. It's something called the Sermon on the Mount, or in Luke's version, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. It's in Luke uh, five and six, and, 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 it, and it's really just Luke six, actually. It's, it's the most radical teaching. If you've never read it, please read it. If, if half of the church actually obeyed this teaching, we would, these conversations would never have to be had. Hmm. So I am struggling to obey this. So he's talking about loving enemies. He says, but you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. All right, so let's start there. Oh, my goodness. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. All right, so that's his opening salvo. He talks about, and then and then he goes, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. That's easy. You, uh, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And this is the key to the whole sermon right here. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Hmm. 
Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, so many things going on here. And stop me, Andy, if it gets too sermony. All right? Stop me. <laughs> but doggone it. This is incredible. Jesus is breaking the ancient law of reciprocity. So the rule that governed ancient relationships was reciprocity. Uh, I do something for you that puts you in my debt so that you'll do something for me. It was an honor and shame culture. And, and one of the ways you can manipulate honor and shame was by placing people in your debt by being generous to them. Jesus is saying, no, 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 generosity, never be generous for the sake of putting someone else in, in, in their debt. Be generous because that's what God is like. Mm-hmm. Be children of the Most High. So the best compliment you could give a child is that they're like their father. Mm-hmm. So Jesus says, if you really want to embody God... Be merciful as the Father is merciful. Now, that's a, that's a change from the Pharisees' favorite verse, which was, be holy as I am holy. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus obviously affirms that, but he affirms it by adding, be merciful as my Father is merciful. Now, we could spend days just on how radical that was. But then Jesus goes straight into judgment. And there's, he's not, in, in my Bible, there's a paragraph break and a title, like he's talking about something new. He's not. He's saying, listen, be like God in mercy, but don't be like God in the one thing that God's allowed to do and you're not, namely judge. Right? That's right. And what was the temptation in the Garden of Eden? Well, it was to either the fruit of something called the knowledge of good and evil, to be able to render judgments is what that fruit represented. Mm-hmm. It's not just knowledge of evil, it was the knowledge of good and evil. And the first thing, the first thing that happens after they eat the fruit is they begin to render judgments. They see they're naked and realize naked is bad, that's a judgment. They blame the serpent and the man blames the woman and they hide from God because now it's scary, that's a judgment. So the first thing they do is start rendering verdicts, right? So this goes back as far as humanly possible. So immediately after the unqualified and indiscriminate love we are to show to even our enemies, Jesus says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Now, so much confusion here because for some folks, anytime anybody wants to make a moral evaluation of them, they'll just say, well, don't judge as if we should never make more evaluations of anything. For others of us, um, we feel total permission to judge whoever and however and whenever we like. Both sides are wrong. Because the word judgment is the word crino, and it means there's a good kind and a bad kind. And this is where it gets really confusing. Mm -hmm. Crino means to separate, to categorize, to distinguish. Is this like in my my Myers-Briggs when I've got judgment in my... uh... (laughs) Yes. My ENFJ. Yes. This is, this is good judgment. This is good. Okay. It can be bad, right? Like <laughs> yeah, every personality so. trait. Yeah. So, so Crino in the Bible, it, 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 there are times we're commanded to do it. And, and in this case, it's the negative version that we're commanded to avoid. So there's a good, the, the word Crino means categorize, distinguish, to sift, to sort. The good Crino is when you do that. Uh, with behaviors, with actions, with words. The bad crino, the bad judgment, is when you do that with people. 
And the way we know that is, is Jesus is speaking here using parallelism. He says, do not judge and you will not be, con- uh, you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. So the judgment he's condemning is the judgment that leads us to condemn others. And that is the judgment that goes from seeing someone's outside and rendering verdicts about their identity, their worth, their fitness as a parent, right? Their, their status as saved or unsaved, sheep or goats, good and bad, right? And this worthy of salvation, not worthy of salvation. Mm-hmm. See, the, the bad kind of judgment is the judgment that comes easy. This was the garden kind of judgment. It, it, it's, the, it's the leap, the instantaneous, unconscious leap we make from seeing and hearing the crying baby on the plane to they're just bad parents. Mm-hmm. Or to, to go from seeing a homeless guy to, well, he's just lazy. Without knowing anything, the, the judgment we make is so disproportionate to the little amount of information we have that we're literally condemning people into categories and labels that we have no business using. So there is a good crino. We're going to talk about that in a second. But the bad crino, this bad judgment, Jesus speaks against it and the New Testament speaks against it and Paul speaks against it all over the place. Because one of the things, one of the things you, you've got to realize is that, and there are reasons why this judgment is bad. First of all, according to Jesus, it boomerangs back on you. Whatever, whatever standard you're going to use on others is going to be applied to you. Holy crap. Oh, that, ter- that terrifies me. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm such an ass with yeah, other people. And I'm right. like, wow. Secondly, Jesus goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And this, this represents some sort of sinful attitude or action. Why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, the two by four, the large beam in your own eye? Fence post. How, if the fence post, how can you, uh, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in yours, you hypocrite. First, take the, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck of their brother. So why is judgment, the bad kind of judgment outlawed by Jesus? One. Because it boomerangs on us. Two, uh, because I'm to regard my sin as bigger than your sin. Now, I just do exactly the reverse. (laughs) And I think the American church does that too. Right? Whatever sins we're going to condemn aren't the sins we're going to struggle with, that we ourselves struggle with. So Mm -hmm. you're never going to hear me preach on gluttony. Right? Because that's tiny. That's a tiny sin compared to the sins of everybody else. You're not going to hear me, you know, preach a, a, a lot on hairlessness because that, you know, that's <laughs> nothing. No, but but the point, that, that again, if this were obeyed, that I am to see myself as the worst sinner everywhere. So even if I were to see something in you, Andy, mm-hmm. I would have to acknowledge two things. First of all, the reason I can see it in you is because it's in me. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's pride. Mm-hmm. Well, then the second the second step would be for me to realize my pride is worse than your pride. Mm-hmm. And then we can have the conversation. Yeah. See, no, nowhere does Jesus say, hey, you get to lob judgment on people and walk away. Mm-hmm. No way. No way ever. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, no, no, I'll tell you what you do. Let's say there is a speck in someone else's eye. Deal with the two freaking four. Two by four. Mm-hmm. Two freaking by four. <laughs> The beam. Got it. 
deal with your own eye first. I mean, now think yeah. about how that changes all the social relationships, the dynamic of this conversation, mm-hmm. right? If, if I went to my gay brothers and sisters realizing I was the worst sinner in the room and they show up realizing they're the worst sinner in the room, think about the different dialogue. But I can hear the critics right now. Oh, but the difference between the gay people is they don't think they're sinning and we know we're sinning. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what you've just rendered? You've rendered precisely the judgment here that Jesus outlaws. Mm -hmm. Because the third reason Jesus outlaws this kind of judgment is we're all guilty. So why do guilty people get to judge other guilty people? Right? But we do it. And and, and remember, this is not the good kind of judgment. It's discernment between behaviors and attitudes and actions. I do this with my kids all the time, right? That's not helpful. That's not who we are. Mm -hmm. Yes. But what I never do with my kids is say, you're just beyond hope. You're beyond redemption. You're anathema, right? Never. So Jesus outlaws this this verdict thing that we do. And social media makes it worse. Can we just, can can we, uh, and I'm sure this is not the wise thing to say, but can we just be done rendering verdicts about groups of people on Facebook? Can we just stop doing that? Oh, my goodness. I'll I'll, I'll write the internet and let them know. Yes. So, so, so this propensity to judge goes all the way back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the reason, the, and the reason it's addressed here is because it kills mercy. How can you be merciful just as the Father is merciful if you're keeping a running narrative of who's worthy of mercy and who's not? Mm-hmm. Jesus says, be indiscriminate. If they don't think they're a sinner, love them anyway. If they think they're a sinner, love them anyway. If they're part of the gay agenda, love them anyway. If they're part of the anti-gay agenda, love them anyway. Right? Love them anyway. Any place, any time, anybody, love them. Now, the response is, yeah, but love means sometimes telling them that what they're doing is wrong. Fair enough. We do that with kids. But let's talk about when that's okay. Because this is where Paul jumps into the conversation. Okay. And Paul says, yes, there are places where we crino each other, all right? And there are ways in which we do it. But let's think about that for a second. First, he says, judgment, the good kind of crino, is only to be done between believers, all right? Between people who claim to be covenant people. This is good judgment. This is the good judgment. Yeah. All right? So Jesus isn't saying there aren't times when there is a speck in someone else's eye and you have to help remove it. Great. But how do you do it? How do you do the good kind? Well, first, you're not condemning them because they have a speck. You're not categorizing them and labeling them and making assumptions about their motives just from watching their external behavior. Mm -hmm. You're not grouping them into a nameless class of people and condemning them all as liberals or conservatives or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're seeing them as a person and you're seeing that the speck is a reflection of your plank. Mm -hmm. Well, that's huge. But the second thing, and this is where Paul chimes in, this kind of crino, the good kind of, we'll call it discernment, to differentiate it from judgment, which we'll use in the bad sense. The good kind of discernment is to be done first within the church, with each other. So Paul says it so clearly, there's sexual sin in in the Corinthian church. And, and Paul's like, hey guys, aren't you gonna deal with this? Don't you know, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Don't you know where to judge those inside? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, go. Can we clarify in the church? Because I think maybe that's part of the conversation. I'm going there. Okay. Right. I'm going. Okay. You're on fire. 
By the way, I had I had no idea what we were talking about today. Just for the record, <laughs> you're that good, Andy Laurie. Am I getting too preachy yet? Uh, no, we're we, we're sitting on a nice bulk rich of information. I'm sure this one's going to go on repeat. It's a like fiber. It's like it fiber. It's rich. You know, it's it's. We, we can talk Adele again if you want to. No, that's fine. That's not fiber. That's not. That is that is awful. But that's broccoli is what that is. <laughs> um, well, I guess broccoli is fiber. But so so the first thing he says is is and we have entire Christian industries that are so called Christian built on um, judging the sinners out there. Right, and, and they and they spread fear and lies and political agenda, and they don't tell the truth about the other side. They don't listen to the other side, and I just think that's antichrist. Mm-hmm. I just absolutely, according to the words of Jesus, antichrist. Nope, not even remotely. Paul says, "I," and so here's how I here's how I play it. Expect Christians to act like Christians, and let's expect non Christians to act like non Christians. How about that? How about not forcing? non-covenant people to be covenant people it's a shocking thing right am i shocked that gay people want the same rights as everyone else has no and if i were gay i'd want the same rights too so i didn't vote or in any way oppose legislation that would give them the same civic rights right if the state wants to recognize that great great they should have the same rights i have no problem with getting the same rights because who am I to crino the world, yeah, right? Right. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, we can't say that murder is wrong and we can't say that there are things in culture that are wrong. Uh, of course. Of course we do that. But usually that's all we're doing. We're never doing the crino inside. So the first thing, the first place, and Peter says this, he says, judgment begins with the house of God. When you come into relationship with God, yes, you are under grace. Yes, there is no condemnation. But... You're shown grace precisely so that you demonstrate new life. Mm-hmm. So, so judgment, the good crino happens in the church. But secondly, what was a church? Well, when this was written, this was 20 people in a house, right? These were not large groups. These were groups of people who, you know, 20, 30 from all social statuses and walks of life who would meet together in homes, uh, who would at, at times um, meet more than once a week. But they were on the inside of each other's lives. And that's when good Crino happens. See, Crino, I, I have people who assume motives and who assign categories all the time because I, I, I say something and either I don't say it clearly or I'm dead wrong or whatever. And so I get emails all the time from folks who are critical, who are angry, who are, who, who are whatever. And I try to be the kind of guy who listens to everything and says, okay, God, are you, is this for me? Is this something here? But I have a crew of people that are much closer to me. Uh, A couple of guys I meet with every week, a guy who watches my internet activity, my sweet wife, my kids. I ask my wife all the time, or at least not all the time, maybe once, uh, once a year on our anniversary and then maybe a couple of other times. But that feels like all the time. To me. <laughs> um, I ask her, hey, honey, how can I be a better husband to you? And she always has an answer. Always. I ask my kids, how can I be a better daddy? Mm-hmm. La- Hannah B., my, my daughter, um, it was maybe a month ago, said, Dad, you and Mommy need to apologize quicker because you're not being a good role model for us as, as kids. And I, I'm like, oh, my goodness, dude, that, that is a horrifying answer. But she was right. 
I, when those guys that are close to me and those people that are the inside of my life, when they say, hey, Mike, there's something going on with you, that carries so much power as opposed to just the random email that's trying to crino me from afar. Now, they may be right, but I'll receive crino, I'll receive discernment from folks that are close. So think of a group of people, think of a small group who've met together for uh, two years and they've seen the ups and the downs. They've seen the have them have fights with their spouses. They've seen uh, their kids go crazy, right? They're on the inside of each other's lives. Well, that's where Crino happens. Mm-hmm. So where does Crino happen? It's in the church. What's the context for discernment? These intimate relationships. And then thirdly, how do you do it? Well, Paul says, and he's echoing Jesus here, you should restore each other gently Mm -hmm. if one of you is caught in a sin why so that you might restore him right so so my point is okay we spent a lot of time crinoing the gay community um and uh and they receive our crino as anti-love because our crinoing is not associated with anything it's not associated with listening it's not associated with kindness it's not associated with with caring for things they care about for fighting for rights that in a pluralistic society they should have for for funding and and aids research for all of those sorts of things so our crinoing comes across as anti-loving we justify that anti-love stance by saying well love means we tell the truth and so and and part of that is right but what it's neglecting is the whole mountain of stuff you do as you're trying to be truthful because the truth is your sin is worse than their sin if you're a disciple of jesus the truth is it's the body of believers that should be crinoing each other and then only gently and then only as fellow strugglers see if we were all engaging in that kind of crino maybe the world would be interested in hearing what we have to say but precisely because we've not done this because we expect non-christians to act like christians and we're okay with christians acting like non-christians because our house is so messy we have zero moral authority to speak into cultural issues Hmm. boom (laughs) boom (laughs) what do you think of that andy how about that as an answer to your question yeah, that's that, that that answers the question. That that starts the conversation. It starts. And and that yeah. I think that's the the thing I'm learning about podcasting that is so limiting and it's the same and it's the reason why your feedback in social media is so important. I read every single thing. Mm-hmm. Is because I, I will get done with this and think of a thousand other things I should have said or this thing I shouldn't have said. But we're committed to not editing. Yeah. We're committed to just letting this go. And being in conversation. And so this is not the last word, not the first word. I am the chief of sinners, you guys. I am Mike. I am a huge sinner. Prideful, lustful, gluttonous, selfish. Um, I I absolutely... And the thing that's so hard for me is judging the judgers. Because I see, in my opinion, uh, the Pharisee is alive and well in the conservative American church. And I just see Jesus as having harsher words for them than he did for the tax collectors and the prostitutes. So if Jesus were going to kick ass, if Jesus were going to crino, I think he'd crino the Pharisees among us. Now I am one because I love judging them. So that makes me one automatically. But there's a sense in which the words that Jesus would speak would be harshest towards those 
who claim to be in relationship with him. And, and so, brothers and sisters, uh, may the conversation continue. Would love your feedback. Seriously, if, if you're benefiting from this, would you uh, rate it on iTunes? Would you share it? Uh, let people know it's out there. The goal isn't, this is not a money-making enterprise. We're not, um, we're, we're doing this because um, we feel like there are bits and pieces of the conversation maybe that, that aren't being brought together. And, and uh, we love, I love the idea that Jesus challenges every side of every issue. Uh, and and if if you've never if you've been hurt deeply by the church and by Christianity, uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm part of the problem. Um, but can I encourage you just to read a book like Luke, um, to pick up one of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, and read it. And and I think what you'll see is there's a great deal of difference between how Jesus lived and operated, and how he, a lot of his church does. And me included in that. And and I would hate for you to hold the church against Jesus. Because uh, I think Jesus would save his m- most uh, pointed critiques of us. Um, and, and, and if you could see kind of the Jesus as radical and as, as inclusive and as, as unbelievably loving and truth-telling as he was, um, I think... I think we'd all be foolish not to drop everything and rush after him. So um, thank you for for the great privilege of letting us into your car, your headphones, your workout routine. Um, it's a very it's a very great honor to be able to do it. So uh, anything else, Andy? We got to wrap up. What, what's our outro? Um, we still doing, we yeah, st- we still we still got some music from Roa Summit, so we still got Roa that. Summit. We'll, we'll hang it. in there for a while. I'm going to reach out to some other friends and see if Van Halen, some other jams. Yeah, yeah, I'll give Eddie Guns a call. and Roses. I'll give Eddie a call and see if we could uh, throw some eruption on. Oh that. my goodness, <laughs> Pearl Jam. Course, I mean, yeah, if you're going to yeah. say Eddie, you got to yeah, go better. That's right. That's right. Um, so, so Ohio State's still number one. Uh, Pearl Jam is still awesome, and Ducks are losing terribly. I. I thought we were never going to mention. This. I know you don't care about this, but let, just for just for the record, on the manhood side, it is yes. the one sport that validates gentlemen fighting next to boxing. Okay, so if we're okay. going to talk team sports, that but aren't they called goons? It used yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. It seems like a paradox, yes. Andy. This 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 rule has recently changed in the past, <laughs> past seven years. No, because teams used to specifically find someone to act as that role. The enforcer. The enforcer. That's right. And that's since changed, hockey. and now there's a balance of it. But it's um okay. it's it's brutal. We we went from number one yeah. last year. Yeah. And we've won one game in seven. Did you win the Stanley Cup last year? No. Well, see, you weren't number one. Well, we're we're number one all the way through. What does Ricky Bobby say? If you went first, you're last. First, you're last. Sorry, Wait, that's a that's a great point, and that that goes the same for Christians. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, oh. brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to you and give you peace. Until next time, thank you. What does the box say? <laughs> Ah, turn it off. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. 
don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.